0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we explore the natural environment, our society, and a company's governance structure through the lens of the weekly news. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and this week, Andrew Young and I are joined by an infamous special guest to discuss Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, and then Megan Eastman joins me to discuss Intel's pledge to release data on its race and gender pay gap. Thanks, as always, for joining me. Stay tuned. Okay, for our first story, guess who's in the building, everyone? Matt Muscardi. Yeah. Hey-o. He joins Andrew Young and me today. Matt called me up, no, 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 which no, no. was back great up. because uh, you not everyone knows this, up. but Matt's a pretty sensitive soul. And he asked me if he could come back on the pod and uh, Matt, before we start, I believe you wanted to plug something here. So plug away, my guy, before we start.
1: So just a quick plug. As you're sitting on the empire I built at MSCI ESG, uh, Damien Rollis and I started a little company called Free Float Media. We've got two podcasts. The first one coming out is Business Pants. It's a daily a daily news-driven investor business Pantsy show and we're hoping everybody who likes ESG now listen to it there's a lot of governance content there's a lot of ESG style content anyway just check it out because it's funny
0: Yeah, we're really excited about it, and for Matt, because he's great. So go check it out. And so, for our first story today, Matt wanted to talk about Facebook with Andrew Young, who covers the company. And specifically, he wanted to talk about Mark Zuckerberg, because Zuckerberg is on sort of a PR tour this week. He gave a speech at Georgetown, where he said Facebook and civil rights are basically the same thing. Then, he had to testify before Congress on what was supposed to be about Libra, but basically, he just talked about whether or not he would fact-check political ads that were on his platform. By the way, my favorite moment was when some older gentleman began quizzing him on the ability to find actors anti-vaccine groups on Facebook. I think it's about an hour and a half in if you want to check that out. And at the end of the week, Facebook will likely announce the collaboration between news publishers and Facebook. There's going to be this news tab on Facebook. So Matt decided he really needed to come in and talk about the company. But first, the stat card. Remember, at MSCI ESG Research, we rank companies on their exposure to environmental, social, and governance risks based on a triple C to a triple A scale. And Facebook is actually a triple B because even though it has some troubling privacy and data security issues, and obviously the government governance issues, which we will get into soon enough, it doesn't pollute that much, it isn't corrupt in a technical sense, and it treats its full time staff well. But Matt, you seem to have a bone to pick with the company. What's your big deal? Why don't you like Zuckerberg? Why don't you think Facebook and civil rights are basically the same thing?
1: <laughs> That's kind of an open ended question. Look, I just think that there that that Facebook represents a dangerous challenge because it's not a challenge that an an investor can't engage with that challenge. Right? Like with JP Morgan, investors have a vote. With Amazon, investors have a vote. Google, they don't really have a vote. And Facebook, they definitely don't have a vote. And it's one person who's basically gonna make a decision. How it's going to be, and even their oversight board proposal from a couple months ago is sort of a flimsy proposal, right? Like they, they've they've made all these sort of concessions that are like we're going to use an independent board on Libra, uh, a quarter of which they have already dropped out before the. the project started. We're going to use an oversight board for Facebook. It's going to be sort of an oversight governance board, but it doesn't actually have any real juice. They have uh, an independent, you know, board that sits, you know, at the corporate structure. There's an independent board, except that they, you know, Mark Zuckerberg handpicks them because it's his all his voting power. It all comes down to one thing. And it, he even got asked this by his own employees. How much of you having all the voting power is a problem.
0: Well, so Andrew, enlighten us. Why is he making this argument that he should continue his reign?
2: You know, you know this argument, it's the same. It, it reminds me of the argument they make in other circumstances. Like, you can't regulate technology companies, otherwise China is going to take over the Silicon Valley in the technology space. Um, you know, th- these arguments like, Things must remain in the status quo form um, or something really bad is going to happen. Like like Amazon saying to its employees, you know, we strongly oppose you unionizing um, because it's going to limit our ability to innovate.
0: Well, I would actually like to talk about Amazon because it collects a lot of user data, too. And it has been hacked a number of times. And, and labor-wise, Facebook is way better than Amazon. The average Facebook worker is paid like $240 thousand dollars in u.s. whilst amazon employees are having heart attacks at its warehouse yet facebook is the one that keeps getting called to task by politicians and actually i think it's because of its threat to the political system in the u.s. and elsewhere and to factual content in general because that's all congress was asking about Are, are you going to fact check the political ads in your system are you going to allow political ads on that are lies and basically zuckerberg said we want people to see the falsehoods politicians put in their ads so we're not going to take them down and i think this is why libra their their cryptocurrency is under attack and why facebook is in general just getting the treatment is that what you see the big issue is with facebook as well andrew
2: you know the, the issue with for me with with facebook um aside from the governance issues that matt uh, talked about is the is the conflict uh, in in the business model. The company wants desperately not to be considered a publisher, but in some circumstances to be considered a publisher.
0: Yeah, you were telling me before the call that they're, they're using the Communications Decency Act of 1996, which is, if everybody doesn't remember, the act that was used to regulate pornographic material on the Internet, but actually the second section of it says that, quote, Internet service providers are not to be construed as publishers, and thus not legally liable for the words of third parties who use their services. That's just as an FYI, everyone. That's the argument that they are trying to make.
2: Where where an internet platform is is uh, exempt from being uh, held liable for content on its platform. So that that's what Facebook um, and Google, what these companies rest on. So they want. They want desperately to be considered, um, not to be considered publishers. And that's why they promote things like freedom of speech. Um, Because if they are to be considered publishers, they're going to have to do a whole lot more work um, before content can be published on on their platform.
0: Well, along that vein, I want to make a prediction here. I I think the collection and monetization of data is going to get much simpler. I think companies are going to just dumb down their data harvesting techniques. Like with TikTok – TikTok doesn't have any of these content issues because they don't ever get involved with politicians, but they still get the same sort of consumer data that Facebook does because people upload millions of videos on on TikTok and then they tell the TikTok algorithm what sort of stuff they like uh, by liking or disliking videos, and they don't have to deal with this this sort of pressure that Facebook does. And I think investors are going to look at companies or have to look at companies more that are seemingly benign, but use like a second tier usage of the of the data people give them and I, th- I think tech companies are going to totally avoid the Facebook model and instead they're going to use this situation where they're going to say hey take a picture of your face and we'll tell you what celebrity you look like but oh by the way we just got all your facial recognition data and then we're going to sell it or we're going to get hacked or something. I don't think
1: to, I don't think so I, I I think I think if you're an investor I think um, so so let's distill it down into like you know its shortest simplest form as an investor number one, what is the price premium or discount you're willing to put on the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is the controlling shareholder and all of the trust issues and the scrutiny that comes with that number two, how much do you value the data that Facebook is able to acquire because Mike, you and I were talking in, in pre-production about, you know, the antitrust action against some of these big tech right. companies.
0: Yeah, I was trying to say that uh, there needs to be a pricing issue for consumers for to be construed as antitrust. And in this case,
1: the price, like what they monetize is your data. And I, and I get nothing for that, right? But that data has a value. And as soon as an investor can say, this is the value of that data, and it's not just revenue can, that can be generated off of it, then you're going to start to understand, well, how much is it worth to take the risk on Mark Zuckerberg or on Jack Dorsey and Twitter or, and how much is it, how much is it likely that that data could become even a, a stranded asset or you you're going to have to pay for it, right? Like in Andrew Yang, you know, d- uh, who's a democratic nominee throwing out ideas about, you know, uh, they should send you a check for your data, which is not a new idea, but it's new to the, the sort of political platforms, particularly in the U S in Europe. They just said data's basically personal data is basically a stranded asset. You have control of it. It's yours. And all the companies need to tell you everything they're doing around it, you know, more or less in general. And in the U S We're talking about pricing the asset. It's capitalist, right? But those are the two questions you kind of have to answer as, as an investor. That's like where you need to start when you sit down and you look at Facebook and you say, what's the future prospect of Facebook? It's not just what's their revenue growth model and what's their you know broad business model, where's their R&D going? It's what is the price or premium or discount on Mark Zuckerberg and what is the, how much is that data worth per user? Because that actually might turn into a cost someday.
0: Yeah, Andrew, I'd actually like to hear your thoughts on this because it's been Matt's claim since day one that data will become a stranded asset. And what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, and you know there's something to you know, to Matt's point around the you know the three massive luminous red flags um, and that that van diagram when they all meet. And, but how and how how does that how would that could that materialize for Facebook in such a way that your data becomes a stranded asset and you know the way the way we saw it um, for our, industry report was just to say that, you know, it's, it's probably going to come from the European regulators first, where the European regulators might open up your personal data fields. So Facebook will have to share your personal data, and you will have the ability to share it with whatever platform you want. So, you know, you can create, you, there will be a, you know, in order to stimulate competition, Maybe there's a platform created with the exact same functionality as Facebook, um, but it doesn't show your data. Um, and you have the ability to put your data from Facebook to this new platform. You know, then Facebook has to react um, and it, it might not have the ability to do that. But that I mean, it's it's such a hypothetical.
1: It's not um, as much. Is it going to be enough? Ass- it's not as much hypothetical. They 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 just were talking about it in the Senate this week. They were talking about data portability as a potential bill, like giving people in the u s the ability to control their data and port it to other platforms. Now there are no other platforms really to speak of but but the minute they do that, wh- what percentage of users will pull their data and then try to sell it back because now you're now actually the data has value now other platforms can can grow if they're willing to. Pay, or if you're willing to give them the data for free, you can port it over. Or is there is there a world in which Facebook has to say, you know what, we're going to give you a thousand dollars a year for your data, you
0: keep your data on our platform? Okay, Megan joins me for a second story because Intel announced its plans to release its pay data based on race and gender. And Megan is our premier researcher on what a diverse workforce does or doesn't do for a company. Now, this announcement from Intel comes after the company agreed to pay a $5 million settlement after employees at the company, guess what, complained about pay discrimination based on gender and race. But before Megan gets going, let's do a quick stack guard for Intel. On a triple C to triple A scale, we rate Intel at an A because even though it has Uh, the issues with pay discrimination and actual and actually other issues with their labor force Intel has industry-leading water management strategies and its products are really safe and it cares about clean tech and it's just a generally environmentally progressive company so we rate it at an A. But Megan this is more about pay and discrimination data and Intel's decision though seemingly motivated by litigation this decision to release the data is monumental yes?
3: This is a big deal. I'm not aware of any other U.S. company that's doing this. Um, so a part of what it's driven by, you said, you know, there there's some kind of background of employees making allegations at Intel, but the the EEOC is also required for a brief period, the companies report this stuff along with the gender and racial makeup of their workforce. And, you know, I won't be surprised if it doesn't continue given the change in administration and so on. But uh, even, at, you know, a year's worth of data would be really interesting. And for Intel to go and put it out there publicly, I think sets a really interesting example. You know, it, it really kind of hangs whatever dirty laundry there might be out for everyone to see um, and ho- hold them accountable to.
0: And you, you've written a lot about the fact that diversity and uh, specifically gender and race on Having people of different gender and people of different race on your board is beneficial for the company financially. You've written about the fact that innovation is more uh, prevalent in companies that have a diverse workforce. And you've written that it's an indication that the culture of the company is just more open to change because they are not going to have the old guard there that's like, I don't want to do this, Let, let's not do that. You'll have different people saying, no, no, we should try this. This is interesting for this cohort. This is interesting for that cohort. But what I'm curious about because you you speak in, on panels about this a lot, and so you talk with a lot of different stakeholders, and I'm wondering because this is a, a very uniquely human story, what people say when they come up to you.
3: There's kind of two main cohorts out there. And some of them overlap, so they're not necessarily different people. But you've you've got the groups who are really focused on the social inequalities and say, you know, this is wrong. I can't believe we're still talking about whether this is still a good idea in 2019. Like, we, we should just fix this. And they want to use their investments as a tool to help uh, bring about change. And then there's another group, which, like I said, is not mutually exclusive with the first group, who's looking at it and saying, you know, the evidence is there that these more diverse groups seem to be better for the companies that that you do get more creativity and more innovation and and more openness to new ideas and engagement and productivity and so on when you have uh, groups of employees groups of leaders that are more diverse and you know you mentioned corporate culture and that's one of those kind of famously difficult to measure things it's super intangible and so a lot of what we've been trying to do in our research is kind of figure out what we can measure and then see if we can build up a, a, something approaching a, a larger picture based on the pieces that we can measure. You know, What do they imply?
0: Are you more drawn to one of the conversations than the other, do you find?
3: Well, you know, at a very personal level, I do get frustrated that we are still having this conversation of like, is it OK for your investments to allow women to be leaders? Because you know, the research is just done. Like, I'm over that. Um, but on the other hand, I I do find their research compelling when we take it beyond the idea of just we should have equality because it's the right thing to do, which I very much believe personally. But also, you know, you look at this and you see that these more kind of open-minded cultures that are looking at a wider array of ideas and kind of vetting them in different ways and maybe more reflective of their clients or customers or the population at large, like that really seems to make a difference. and. You know, in that sense, I think it's something that's important to look at. If you're an investor, you're missing out information if you're not paying attention to it.
0: It kind of feels like the climate change debate sometimes where it's like, do we really need to hash out whether or not this is going on? Is this is this a necessary debate? Shouldn't we be hashing out how these things are implemented? Is it difficult once this data is out in the same way once a lot of climate data is out to then say, okay, we see this inequality is existing. Are there tangible ways that you found companies are using, maybe not explicitly because they haven't released the data, but they are implementing programs to help promote more diversity? That isn't tokenism. That isn't kind of like, oh, yeah, we we hit the 30% mark and then we're done.
3: It's about everything from building the pipeline of people who might be eligible and have the skills to do what you need to looking at where you're sourcing your talent. And you know are you looking at all the places where it might be found or or are you just looking in kind of the usual places where you're used to looking or, you know, in your network, which is probably going to look all fairly, fairly lot like you. Uh, and then, you know, what are you doing to make people feel welcome and integrated, not just on board, but actually included and fully participant and, you know, able to stay in the workforce in advance? Um, you know, there's also some interesting evidence around um, putting that kind of stuff into place and, how it's done that makes it complicated that you know if you try and push too hard or you do it in the wrong way you might get backlash or you might get people not taking it seriously as you try to change a culture
0: you've seen some plateauing in companies where they'll hit these marks and then they'll just stop for years on end how do you think uh, stakeholders will will use this data going forward to uh, prevent those plateaus from happening if you could speculate
3: Well, for the things where there is data, it's a lot easier to push. But then you get other kinds of pressures, like uh, for the boards in particular, there have been regulatory moves, Um, some countries in Europe, also countries in Asia, and and most recently California requiring minimum representation. Um, And that's the sort of thing where if it's got any teeth, the companies tend to come into compliance. I mean, interesting side note there, actually, uh, there's a handful of European countries like Norway that have been doing the board... Uh, quotas for quite a number of years now and what we saw in the data was that you know they they put the quotas in and the companies in that market got up to where they were supposed to be you know they somehow found directors that met the requirements and then the numbers like you said kind of plateaued but then some years later they started to creep up beyond the minimum requirements and the way that I've interpreted that is that the people's attitudes and culture and what seems normal takes longer to change than the regulations do.
0: Nice. Thanks, Megan. Great
3: talking to you, Mike.
0: All right, that's it for the week. I wanted to thank Megan and Andrew and especially Matt Muscardi for joining me today to discuss this week's news with an ESG twist As always, I want to thank you for listening. Let us know how we're doing. Drop a note. Rate and review us. I always want to hear how we're shaping and moving and changing. So I really appreciate when you do that. Have a great week and talk to you soon.